0: That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from one mile away. So I know what it looks like when those so-called nuclear experts get it wrong. This week we're going to learn about an unholy alliance in the process of being forged between Japan and India for the sale of nuclear technology. And you will hear firsthand about the incredible resistance being fought by Indian anti-nuclear activists who number in the tens of thousands. They are starting to make a crucial difference in a campaign that can only be seen as a kind of nuclear Gandhi. Nuclear Hot Seat talks via Skype with Kumar Sundaram on the growing outrage in India over the current government's intention to import nuclear technology from Japan, of all places. That interview will be coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, May 28, 2013, and here is the week's anti-nuclear news. California Senator Barbara Boxer has really been living up to her last name as she's been socking it to the NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and Southern California Edison over San Onofre. Last week on May 23rd, she told the chair of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission that she wants public hearings and a complete investigation before any restart of the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station. Boxer made her comments as part of the Senate reconfirmation hearing for NRC Chair Allison McFarlane, who filled in the term of former Chair Gregory Yasko and is seeking a full five-year term of her own. Regarding Southern California Edison's, SCE's, plan to operate the reactor at 70 percent, Boxer said, We'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. That's like saying, I think I fixed the damaged brakes on your car, but don't drive it over 40 miles per hour. Boxer issued notice that she wants the Justice Department to investigate if the California utility executives deceived federal regulators intentionally about an equipment swap at San Onofre that eventually led to a radiation leak. Boxer, who, by the way, chairs the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, meaning she has serious clout, said in a statement on Monday that she is providing the correspondence to the Justice Department and other federal and state officials to determine if Edison, quote, engaged in willful wrongdoing. She cited a 2004 internal letter written by a senior Southern California Edison executive that she said, quote, leads me to believe that Edison intentionally misled the public and regulators, end quote, to avoid a potentially long and costly review of four replacement steam generators before they went into service. The November 30, 2004 letter from SCE Vice President Dwight E. Nunn states that, quote, although the old and new steam generators will be similar in many respects, they aren't like-for-like replacements, end quote. Boxer's office said the letter reveals evidence of misrepresentation, since it suggests the company knew the replacements didn't meet the like-for-like benchmark Edison used to put them in use. SCE's Top nuclear apologist, Pete Dietrich, who is SCE's Senior Vice President and Chief Nuclear Officer, issued a statement which said, These documents demonstrate the type of careful, now listen for the word, oversight that SCE exercised during the replacement steam generator project and also served to establish our expectations of Mitsubishi-heavy industries. Nuclear Hot Seat would like to point out that the word oversight has two meanings. One is to oversee, meaning to supervise, and the other means to overlook, as in put on the blinders and not even notice. So Pete bobblehead Dietrich, and we call him the bobbler, because that's what his head does every time he's under pressure, answering questions of the NRC in front of an audience. He bobbles his head like an autistic child. My apologies if I have offended any autistic children by comparing you to Pete Dietrich. Boxer went on to cite from the Nun letter, Success in developing a new and larger steam generator design requires a full understanding of the risks inherent in this process, and added that he was concerned that there is the potential that design flaws could be inadvertently introduced into the steam generator design that will lead to unacceptable consequences. Can you say tube damage? Final quote. This would be a disastrous outcome. Stunning, damning evidence. I don't see how they can possibly recover. Yeah! Thank you, Barbara Boxer, for doing a great job. Western Kentucky faces a full blown nuclear catastrophe involving hundreds of tons of enriched uranium tainted with plutonium, technetium, arsenic, beryllium, and a toxic chemical brew. But. This nuclear calamity has been foreseen, planned, even programmed. The result of an atomic extortion game played out between the U.S. Department of Energy, the DOE, and the most failed American experiment in privatization, the company that runs the Paducah plant, USEC, Inc. This report is based on a terrific piece of reporting by Jeffrey C. SEA at ecowatch.com. On the schedule as of May 22nd, is the turning off of main power to the gargantuan gaseous diffusion uranium plant at Paducah, Kentucky. The electricity will be cut at midnight on May 31st because USEC has terminated its power contract with the Tennessee Valley Authority and because the Department of Energy can't pick up the bill. I know we all have trouble sometimes paying our utility bills, but guys, this is nuclear. The Department of Energy is five months away from the start of the 2014 spending authority, and USEC's total market capitalization has declined. So it does not meet the minimum listing requirements for the New York Stock Exchange, and it doesn't meet the requirements to retain its operating licenses under financial capacity requirements of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So the Paducah plant cannot legally stay open, and it can't safely be shut down. I can't wait to hear the punchline. The Navajo Nation is rising up to block access for uranium transport. A uranium mining company seeking a mineral lease on state land in northwestern Arizona could have a hard time transporting the ore off-site because of the Navajo Nation's objections to an industry that left a legacy of death and disease among its tribal members. The tribe has said it will not grant Waite Mining Company, LLC, permission to drive commercial trucks filled with chunks of uranium ore across its land to be processed at a milling site in Blanding, Utah. The reservation was the site of extensive uranium mining for weapons during the Cold War. Concerns of radiation hazards and a legacy of cancer and birth defects remain. The tribe banned uranium mining on its lands in 2005 and last year passed a law governing the transport of radioactive substances over its land. Officials from the Navajo Department of Justice wrote in response to the mineral lease application, Given the Navajo Nation's history with uranium mining, it is the nation's intent to deny access to the land for the purpose of prospecting for or mining of uranium. The parcel of state land is in a checkerboard area of Arizona near the Grand Canyon National Park. Tribal officials and the park superintendent have said any mining would threaten nearby water sources. Navajo Deputy Attorney General Dana Bobroff said, We have no intentions of allowing them to cross Navajo lands unless they have appropriate access rights, which is clear that they will not be receiving. On Friday, May 24th, 100 national, regional, and local environmental and clean energy organizations submitted comments in stark opposition to draft discussion legislation on high-level radioactive waste that was put forth by four members of the Senate Energy Committee. According to Michael Marriott, Executive Director of Nuclear Information and Resource Service, NIRS, which coordinated the comments, this draft legislation is extremely disappointing. It simply attempts to revive rejected policies of the past while moving our nation no closer to a permanent solution for radioactive waste disposal than we are today. In particular, its misguided emphasis on consolidated interim storage would result in the mass transportation of lethal nuclear waste over our roads, rails, and seaways while not reducing the number of existing waste storage sites, which is every nuclear reactor site. As an alternative, the groups supported hardened on-site storage of radioactive waste while a permanent storage solution is pursued. The principles of this concept, endorsed by more than 200 organizations, are detailed on the NEARS site and will be linked to at nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog under Nuclear Hot Seat number 102. And here is the numnuts of the Week. video has surfaced showing senior management at the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station dressed as Star Trek characters inside the plant's training simulator. The video, a spoof called Songs Trek, San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station, stands for songs, and we don't use it because we like music and we're protesting nuclear. But Songs Trek features former chief nuclear officer Ross Ridenor playing Captain Kirk, In the video, as Kirk, Ridenauer asks, So many safety hazards. Lieutenants, are you prepared to get us out of our current situation? He could be talking about San Onofre, could he not? Now, not only is this the worst Star Trek spoof ever seen on the face of the planet, it reveals a shockingly underdeveloped sense of humor and a really bad sense of taste in the executives at San Onofre. Must see TV, and of course, we'll post a link. Over to Japan. We get this word from the HR department of TEPCO that they're having trouble keeping employees. TEPCO is struggling to find enough workers to keep the meltdown-stricken Fukushima nuclear plant in stable condition, and this is a trend that many expect to worsen. They can barely meet the headcount of workers required to keep the three broken reactors cool while fighting power outages and leaks of tons of radiated water, according to current and former nuclear plant workers and others familiar with the situation at Fukushima. Some Fukushima veterans are quitting as their cumulative radiation exposure approaches levels risky to health. There's much more to this story, and there will be a link on our website. Radioactive cesium from Fukushima has been found at 10 points in the Pacific Ocean, including a location as far as 1,300 miles from the plant. This, according to samples taken less than a year after the nuclear disaster began. Japan Times and Kyoto News reported on May 21st that the findings were announced by researchers with the Japan Agency for Marine Earth Science and Technology at the Japan Geoscience Union meeting. At each of the ten points, located between Japan's Hokkaido Island and Guam, cesium-134 and cesium-137 were detected in plankton and seawater samples taken between January and February of 2012, meaning more than a year ago. Plankton are thought to play a key role in the dispersion of cesium because they are eaten by bigger fish, who are eaten by bigger fish, who are eaten by bigger fish, etc., This radioactive contamination of plankton and the seawater may be implicated in the ongoing illness and deaths of sea lions that are showing up on the coast of California. Here was this week's runner-up for the numbnuts of the week. Nothing can beat Star Trek, but this was pretty bizarre. On Monday, May 27, the International Atomic Energy Agency opened a nuclear emergency response training center in... where? Where else? The city of Fukushima. Guys, this is called closing the barn door after the horses have escaped. But this is where they will train Japanese and foreign experts on the handling of nuclear accidents based on lessons learned from the 2011 Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant disaster. They're acting exactly like this is a thing of the past as opposed to being present and ongoing. Guys, it's still not handled. Please don't teach them the incompetence you've shown. United Nations special rapporteur Anand Grover has been busy in the last week. First, this United Nations expert who investigated the aftermath of Japan's 2011 nuclear power plant disaster says the government and the operator of the facility should do more to help those affected by the catastrophe. He says that the Japanese government's takeover of the Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, allowed the utility to evade full responsibility for the nuclear disaster. The report he released urges Japan to improve its emergency preparedness and its handling of compensation claims. Two days later... Anand Grover released another report that Japan's health survey on the effects of the March 2011 nuclear crisis should be expanded to include areas outside of Fukushima Prefecture and that the health survey should be provided to residents in all areas affected by radiation exposure higher than one millisievert per year. The report disputed the Japanese government's decision to allow business activities to resume in areas with an exposure of 20 millisieverts or less per year. It said, Evacuees should be recommended to return only when the radiation dose has been reduced as far as possible and to levels below 1 millisievert per year. Epidemiological studies conclude that there is no low-threshold limit for excess radiation leak for non-solid cancers such as leukemia. The report was submitted to the UN Human Rights Council on Monday, May twenty-seven. Way to go, Anand Grover. Now, see what you can do to get the World Health Organization to rescind its agreement with the International Atomic Energy Agency, which gags it from saying the kind of things that you just said. Moving around the globe to Sweden, environmental group Greenpeace, our version of the Marines, said on Tuesday, May 21st, that it flew a paraglider over a nuclear reactor building in southwestern Sweden and dropped an item upon it from the air to show how vulnerable the facilities were. Anika Jacobson, head of Greenpeace in Sweden, said, As evidenced by this new stress test, Swedish nuclear power plants are both vulnerable and unprotected from threats, antagonistic or accidental, from the air. The motorized paraglider dropped an item attached to balloons onto the roof of one of the four reactors at Ringgals, home to four of Sweden's ten reactors. Police deployed a helicopter as part of the search, but found no trace of the paraglider. Go Greenpeace. In October, Greenpeace activists breached outer security fences at Ringals and at Forsmark, north of Stockholm. At the time, Environment Minister Lena Eck held meetings with nuclear operators and urged them to step up security. <laughs> yeah, way to go, guys. And Greenpeace, way to go. We have a Jellyfish Award for Nuclear Activism. And that's because a nuclear power reactor at Torness, Scotland, remains closed after seaweed threatened to clog its systems. The plant's owner, EDF Energy, took both reactors offline at Torness on Friday to prevent seaweed from entering the facility's cooling system. In 2011, both reactors were closed after a swarm of jellyfish near the station shut down the intake ducts. This was the origin of nuclear hot seat, developing the Jellyfish Award for Bravery in Nuclear Activism. Because if a spineless jellyfish can shut down a nuclear power plant, why can't the rest of us? According to the Scotsman, World Wildlife Fund WWF Scotland said that nuclear power had once again proven itself unreliable. Director Lang Banks said, We should all be thankful that Scotland has grown its renewable energy capacity enough to be able to deal with the Torness nuclear power station going offline without warning. As we tap into ever more of our huge renewable resource, we look forward to the day Scotland can switch off nuclear power for good. We switch our focus now to India. There has been a small victory in India, that under the threat of strong resistance, the government has been forced to cancel a public meeting of the Energy Information Administration on the proposed Chutka nuclear power plant in central India. Leading up to this proposed meeting, the government was shamelessly engaged in a publicity blitz in favor of the nuclear power plant. It has been seen as, quote-unquote, bribing many newspapers, by placing large advertisements singing praises about the, quote-unquote, benefits of nuclear power. The recent campaign by activists has been able to break the veil of secrecy and the stop-news efforts of the government. Local activists created a public outreach, TV channels picked up the danger aspects of a nuclear power plant in a high-earthquake-risk zone, which this is, and and ran stories on how the EIA report suppressed many of these vital facts. Press conferences and public meetings in Jabalpur also helped gather some local support and news outreach. The battle continues, but this small victory gives us more energy to fight, according to local activists. And now this major story, which is the basis of today's interview. Ahead of Indian Prime Minister Singh's visit to Tokyo, Japan has announced that it remains committed to civil nuclear cooperation with India, despite its concerns over nuclear safety. The Japanese government told Times of India that it has decided in favor of having such an agreement with India because of the faith New Delhi has shown in Japanese nuclear technology despite the meltdown in Fukushima. It went on to say that Japan's responsibility to contribute to strengthening nuclear safety worldwide by sharing with the world its experience and lessons derived from the nuclear accident. In other words, they're saying, pay no attention to the ongoing, still-leaking, still-dangerous nuclear disaster behind the curtain. That was the official statement. However, this is what came to me from today's guest, who's been very involved from the beginning in the nuclear resistance in India. According to Kumar Sundaram, since Japanese nuclear technology is used in large nuclear reactors made in the United States and France, it is difficult for India to import nuclear reactors from these countries unless it strikes a nuclear deal with Japan. To remove the obstacle of their exports of nuclear technology to India, Washington and Paris have been unofficially urging Tokyo to conclude a nuclear deal with New Delhi. This is a perfect lead-in to today's interview. The proposed export of Japanese nuclear technology to India is highly controversial and being fought internationally in both Japan and India. This ongoing, ever-growing resistance is taking on the dimensions of what I've come to call Nuclear Gandhi, a nonviolent protest movement by an oppressed people against a violent, punitive, supposedly democratic government. Our guest today is Kumar Sundaram, a research consultant with the Coalition for Nuclear Disarmament and Peace, CNDP, and a passionate spokesperson for his cause. He is the founder of the website and Facebook site Dianukes, which reports on the Indian anti-nuclear movement. Kumar joined us via Skype from his home in New Delhi, India. Kumar Sundaram, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat.
1: Hello. Hi. Yes.
0: We have been watching the protests that have been going on in India from a distance, and it's remarkable for the size, the intensity, and also the fact that you are following a nonviolent path. From a distance, it almost looks like we're watching scenes out of a modern-day nuclear Gandhi. Could you tell us, first of all, how widespread is the use of nuclear in India now?
1: the Indian nuclear anti-nuclear movements are really massive that's true and it has been consistently non-violent. India is among very few countries after Fukushima which has been going for a massive nuclear expansion. This started particularly after the culmination of Indo-US nuclear deal in 2008 and now India plans to uh, expand its nuclear and en- energy capacity by uh, at least 100 times by 2052 uh, which means in the uh, um, uh, immediate term uh, installing at least 20 more reactors in the next 20 years and because of this massive grassroots protests are happening almost in, in every corner of the country. In extreme south you have Kudankulam where, where people have come in and tens, tens of thousands against the nuclear energy projects. You have other places like Jaitapur where French reactors are being installed, six EPRs actually. You have places called Mithi in Gujarat and Kowada in Andhra Pradesh. These are on the eastern and western coast of India where American reactors from Westinghouse and GE uh, have been planned. Where, all, again, you have massive people's resistance at the grass, uh, grassroots.
0: We have seen pictures and videos from the protests, where literally there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of protesters, sometimes standing up to their chests in water to block a bay. There have been crowds on the beach, there have been sit-in protests, there have been hunger strikes. In the United States, we think it's great if we get 100 or 200 people. What is moving the people so
1: deeply? I think think in India, it's besides the Uh, apprehension of uh, radiation and besides the apprehension of the risk which nuclear inherently poses, there is also the large question of social justice and sustainability and uh, right to livelihood because you would see that most of these are farmers, fishermen whose livelihoods, whose traditional lifestyle is at stake. So if these new reactors come up, these farmers will be displaced. The fishermen lose their fish catch which is so important for them. So it's more rooted here, all these villages are rising up in protest in this particular model of growth where they actually have to be displaced and they have to lose their livelihoods. So it's much more rooted and it's much more connected and that is why you see the intense reaction and intense protest at the grassroots in India. In India, the uh, resistance to nuclear energy comes from three more reasons, three particular reasons. Uh, one is, of course, Fukushima happened and people know what a nuclear accident would mean here particularly when the Indian nuclear regulator is totally toothless but, and Indian administration is totally uh, uh, lethargic and inefficient and people know that it won't be able to deal with a large-scale nuclear accident. Secondly, as I said, people are apprehensive about losing their land and livelihoods, which is very important for the farmers and fishermen. If they are displaced and sent to another place, they totally lose their traditional livelihood. They totally uh, uh, lose, their, uh, lose any connection with their traditional lifestyle. And that is very, very important for them. So, wherever new nuclear projects are coming up, you would see the thousands of eggs A- and land is being uh, forcibly taken by the government and given to uh, the nuclear operator. This is happening at almost all these places. So it's question of safety, it's question of livelihood, and the question of total secrecy, total inefficiency of the Indian nuclear establishment in particular.
0: How has the government responded to these protests?
1: It's really shocking that the government has not gone for any democratic dialogue it has responded very very undemocratically and uh, it has resorted to violent repression in all these movements in kudankulam more than 10000 people have been booked under fictitious police cases of uh, sedition T- wait, wait and a minute did you just say 10000
0: more than 10000 people 10, have been charged
1: charged with police cases of sedition and war against the indian state that's
0: outrageous
1: this is completely outrageous. In no other movement and no other instance post-independent India people, so many people have been booked under sedition charges. This is completely outrageous. The government has sent several thousand policemen there who just surrounded the villages for several months, ransacked houses, people were beaten up, two people got killed uh, in, in that agitation in Kural Kulam. In Jaitapur again one fisherman was killed In all these places, wherever people are leading uh, non-violent struggles, the government has come out very uh, undemocratically and very brutally uh, on the people.
0: Do you have any sense as to why the government has been so violent in the case of nuclear protests?
1: I think basically two reasons. A, they have already promised the French corporates and the Americans that they'll buy their reactors. If you look at the nuclear deal, it was a, a legitimization of India's n- nuclear weapon status because India did nuclear tests and still nobody considered it a nuclear power, nuclear weapon state. So, the nuclear weapon, nuclear deal with nuclear weapon a legitimacy and in return, India agreed to buy these reactors from US, France, Russia, etc. So, in a way, India has already promised that it will buy these reactors from these countries and it can't go back on the promise. So, the government of India has to find ways to implement these reactors. That is one. Secondly, the Indian elite and the Indian government has this particular notion of progress in which India has to become a big country, a superpower and it has Uh, It has to have the consumption level of US, it has to have the huge military that the US and other supposedly big powers have. So this is some kind of big power dream, the American dream that Indian elite is following and that detaches it from the larger reality in which Indian villages, Indian people, Indian poor live.
0: One of the reporters for Nuclear Hot Seat, Yuki Wasabe, did some amazing background research. She's been doing this for a while. And she reported to me as we were preparing for this interview that all nuclear reactors in Japan were purchased from the United States. 100% of the uranium fuel is imported from the U.S., Japan has copied U.S. patented atomic technology and requires the future of U.S. tech support. So we have a financial stake in any deal that Japan does with another country and that Because Japan can now be selling reactors to other countries, it means that the United States, along with the United Kingdom and France, which are also sources of nuclear materials, can all keep selling their patents, their fuel, and their reprocessing technology. So this is an economic deal that's backed by the superpowers because they will be making money off of it. And it's not just a deal between Japan and India, but it truly is an international nuclear cartel.
1: That is definitely true because in India, uh, India is importing at least 8 reactors from the U.S. And as of now, there are plans to buy 6 reactors from France and several other reactors from Russia. Now the issue is Japan produces some very crucial components like reactor pressure vessel, the unique steel which is used in reactors is something that only some Japanese companies uh, manufacture and so on. So a a nuclear agreement with Japan is very, very crucial in order to uh, these American reactors to really take off. Yesterday's Asahi Shimbun, which is a leading newspaper in Japan, in its editorial underlined this that it is the US, the France, the Russians who have been pushing Japan to have a nuclear agreement with India as early as possible. And also, as you know, Westinghouse and GE both are now owned by Japanese corporations. Westinghouse has a major stake of Toshiba and GE is now more than partially owned by Hitachi. So, in order to uh, Westinghouse and GE reactors to actually be implemented in India, India needs to have an agreement with Japan. So, you are totally right that this agreement is not actually, not only about India and Japan, And also, if you look at it, if Japan sells nuclear technology to India, China is also in a a competition, it is going to provide nuclear technology to Pakistan, which would again fuel a kind of rivalry between these two countries and it definitely, definitely has a very unfortunate military dimension as well. So I think it it is going to uh, push Uh, a kind of belligerence and arms race in uh, South Asia. It is going to destabilize the entire nuclear stability in this region. And it is going to fuel this nuclear insanity of India, in which the Indian government is mindlessly pushing for these unsafe reactors on its people, displacing them, brutally crushing them, forcing them to lose their livelihoods and in a legal structure which doesn't leave anything to them. You know that India has a nuclear liability law which limits the liability cap to a ridiculously low level. So oh, that,
0: we have the same thing here. It's called the Price-Anderson Act. And uh, no nuclear accident will be charged to the nuclear industry beyond, I think it's 12 point something billion, dollars, which isn't enough to cover a week at Fukushima.
1: So India has been pushing these reactors without proper... Uh, liability safeguards Indian peoples would be left with no uh, liability cover because under the liability legislation of 2010 India has drastically and ridiculously lowered the liability cap something as low as 1500 crores which is nothing when it comes to a nuclear accident
0: yeah, you, you know I, I'm, I'm just stunned by the intensity of this information because in the United States the nuclear manipulation is is hidden it's veiled it's covered and it seems so much more blatant and direct what you are facing there especially the repression so i understand that you have recently sent out a uh, an appeal to the world to sign a petition against this japanese indian
1: Nuclear agreement. We are doing an online uh, international citizens' appeal against the India-Japan nuclear agreement, uh, highlighting two facts: a) that it is ridiculous for Japan to compensate for its nuclear uh, its financial loss, which has it in, which it has incurred after Fukushima, through importing exporting reactor to other countries like India, Turkey, Jordan, and so on, which has which it has been trying to do, and secondly import of Japanese reactors and Japanese nuclear technology in India would bring more misery, more repression, more di- displacement and all these unsafe technologies would come to India which is totally unacceptable to Indian people, particularly Indian poor. So on these two grounds we have been opposing the Indo-Japanese nuclear agreement which is underway. The Indian Prime Minister is in Tokyo today and there are news that the Indian Prime Minister and the Japanese Prime Minister would meet on 29th and finalize the nuclear deal. We are totally against it and our appeal has really attracted attention and support from large number of people across countries in India, in Japan and from US, France, all other countries. People have signed the appeal and I think in next two days we'll have more than 2000 signatures. We already have more than 1500 signatures. So this shows that people have spontaneously come out and supported this uh, opposition to the India-Japan nuclear agreement and have understood its uh, uh, total bizarreness. So I think this appeal also shows that people people globally are against this nuclear agreement.
0: I understand also that there are planned to be demonstrations on May 27th, which is the day that you you are on right now, we're on the dateline right now, but that there will be demonstrations both in Tokyo and in India against this alliance taking place. Have you been involved with that, and if so, in what way?
1: number of protest events have been organized in Tokyo against the Japan-India nuclear agreement. The CNIC, which is uh, the Citizens Nuclear Information Centre, the NNAF, Non-Nuclear Asia Forum and other organizations have organized a press conference today in Tokyo. On 29th, several uh, protest groups would come out in Tokyo and protest when the actual uh, meeting of the Indian and Japanese Prime Ministers take place. And besides these two three bigger organizations, there are, there are a number of groups in Tokyo which have come out with declarations, appeals, uh, memorandums against the Japanese nuclear export policy. So I think there is a massive protest from the Japanese people as well as on the Indian side. Both people want good relationship with India, between India and Japan, but we don't want this nuclear agreement.
0: Well, it seems really ridiculous that's not even a good enough word for it, to trust Japan with nuclear technology, considering that they haven't been able to solve any of the problems involved with Fukushima. They're not a trustworthy source to begin with, and this is some level of insanity that's going on. My question to you is, what would you like to see coming towards you as support from the international community?
1: I think international solidarity in this struggle is very, very important because, uh, for instance, we have protests, simultaneous protests in Japan and it would go a long way in uh, uh, registering the joint resentment of Indian and Japanese people. Similarly, the French reactors are coming up in India, the American reactors are being planned in Michi Verdi, and Kowada. If we have international solidarity, we will have exchange information We have exchanged ideas on how to combat these uh, greedy corporations. So I think international solidarity in this respect is going to be very, very important. Although the Indian government ridiculously, it is a government which is welcoming foreign direct investment in almost every sector. Its nuclear sector is welcoming reactors and dangerous technologies, untested reactor designs from France and elsewhere, but at the same time when it comes to people's movement it is ridiculous that the government of India points fingers and says these movements are foreign instigated and foreign funded and so on which is entirely malicious. So we jointly need to combat these charges of the government as well and uh, with solidarity and with support from all these groups and struggling people all over the world we need to move forward with struggle.
0: Of course what you're aiming at is the end of nuclear technology in your country as we're aiming for this entire movement but in terms of these demonstrations this specific protest right now what is the immediate result that you would like to see
1: we are hoping that the nuclear agreement will not be signed a day after tomorrow in the meeting because japan is going to have a general election in july so our assessment is they would still not finally sign the deal but restart the nuclear dialogue which was stopped for last more than one and a half years and they are hoping that the liberal democratic party would uh, win in japan and then indian government and japanese government would be able to finalize and sign the nuclear agreement we want to build a momentum starting the current dialogue and we want to go reach out to as many Indian and Japanese people as possible and we want to gather solidarity from outside so that we have a massive resistance to this uh, with very uh, ridiculous idea of having nuclear cooperation with Japan. And when the Japanese Prime Minister who is slated to visit India in October this year, we will, will definitely have massive protest in New Delhi as well. So, we are planning for a long struggle, and this particular appeal and joint protests are just the beginning.
0: What kind of support, if any, are you getting from the Indian media? Are you getting coverage? And if you are getting coverage, do you find that it's fair?
1: I think more than any financial or coverage support, this feeling of solidarity is important. For instance, the coalition against nukes based in US has been really helpful in uh, making our voice heard in the US and other countries. They have promoted our appeal on their website and Facebook through social media and so on. And I think this is very, very important that all our voices are heard across countries and people realize that people in India realize that they are not alone because it was ridiculous that the Indian government sent psychological counsellors to these villages as if they are some demented people who don't know and who have irrational fears. So it is important to highlight that after Fukushima there is a global decline in nuclear technology. It is not a technology of the future and there is a growing massive resistance all over the world against this dangerous unsustainable and uneconomic technology and these solidarities would help in making this point clear to the indian people particularly the middle classes who have also bought this whole idea of nuclear being safe and cheap and desirable for india and so on
0: in terms of publicizing your cause. Have you had support from any well-known Indian personalities, uh, either from Bollywood or sports or in politics, who have taken your side and spoken out on your behalf to the larger world?
1: Yes, in India we have had support from large sections of democratic and liberal educated sections of India, including former admirals, former power secretaries, Professors, teachers, artists, painters, writers, citizens and so on. Uh, a number of uh, celebrated writers like Arundhati Roy, Admiral Ramdas, he is the former Navy chief of India. Dr. E.S. Sharma who was the former head of the power ministry, he, he, he was a chief secretary including Dr. A. Krishnan, who was the former head of India's nuclear regulator. He has also come out totally in, in opposition to the Kuran Kulam project. So we have got good support from the uh, more visible sections of the society, not really from the film industries and so on, but we have had support from the intellectual community, the democratic people of, of India and conscientious policy makers as well.
0: I understand that there are various groups around the country that are fighting nuclear. Is there any kind of a national umbrella organization or a coordinating committee so that the different groups are supporting each other and working together in a coordinated way?
1: In India, all these movements are learning from each other and they are working together. Although we don't have a national organization because uh, the issues are very site-specific, but we have joined protests very often. In coming July, we are going to have a gathering of all nuclear anti-nuclear movement, including people from the existing nuclear reactor sites and nuclear mining sites who have been struggling against radiation and complete inefficiency and carelessness of the establishment. So, we will have people from the new proposed reactor sites and the existing sites, almost 30 to 35 places and all these activists and movement people will converge at a place called Ahmedabad where you have Mithi Verdi nearby where American reactors are uh, proposed. So, we will have a national meeting in July on July 25th. This was planned in a recent Mumbai meeting and uh, we will have a gathering of all these grassroots movements, India will have general elections in 2014 which is just one year from now on. So we will have a national people's charter against nuclear energy with which we will reach out to all candidates of all the political parties and we will urge them to support the anti-nuclear charter and then we will reach out to the people and we will keep it open that whosoever supports our charter will support those candidates. So we are trying to use it as a strategy to promote the anti-nuclear cause in the upcoming elections. So there is definitely a national convergence as well.
0: It sounds like one of the reasons that the current government is pushing so hard to nail this agreement is that they might not be the government for much longer.
1: That is definitely true. The current government is one of the most corrupt governments. So many scams have come up in recent months, which have been really shameful and uh, directly the Prime Minister office has been found guilty of indulging into so many illegitimate things uh, including Colgate and so on. So this government is definitely sure that they are not going to come back and that is one of the key reasons why they are so adamant and why they are pushing the entire nuclear expansion so forcefully, that's true
0: this is an amazing struggle to hear about because it's so much more raw and it's so much more present than, say, what we deal with here in the United States, where it's all very sneaky and closed doors and we have a hard time getting people upset enough to actually respond to it. If we were to respond and help you with the struggle, where is the best place for people to learn more and what is the best way that we can support you?
1: I think sharing information about the nuclear dangers, sharing the strategies of peaceful protest because in India all these protests have been thoroughly peaceful and supporting people, encouraging them across countries, joining hands together is very, very important. We would welcome all sorts of support for the from the anti-nuclear community in the US, especially when the American reactors of GE and Westinghouse are coming up in Mithi and Kovada these are the people who are going to struggle against the american nuclear corporates against which the american anti nuclear has been struggling for so long they have experience in dealing with them in having in, in, in struggling against them so definitely particularly uh, in these american nuclear proposed sites there'll be a big role that the japanese anti nuclear movement can play in the form of solidarity and support in other places also of course anti nuclear solidarity is um, required.
0: Well, I know that you are a member of the Coalition Against Nukes, the International Coalition Against Nukes, and the members of that organization certainly stand to support you, help you with strategizing, help with figuring out what the angles can be. If there's a website for people to go to where they can learn more, or a Facebook page, where would you suggest they go to do the
1: research? Uh, Yes, the coalition against nukes from U.S. has been really helpful. Their prominent activists like Star Priscilla, Michael Leonardi have been really helpful from the beginning. And ever since Fukushima started, we have this spontaneous bonding on Facebook and we have been exchanging information and support to each other. So, uh, people can find CAN, Coalition Against Nukes. A group on Facebook, and also there's this website which I myself run from India. It's called DyaNuke.org. Coalition against Nuke.org is another website that the friends of can run, and these are the places where information about nuclear energy and its hazards, and also information about anti-nuclear movements of India, Japan, U.S., all over the world, can be found.
0: Well, we'll certainly link to your sites and to your petition at nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog under Nuclear Hot Seat 102, which is this edition. Kumar, you're doing extraordinary work there. I did talk with Priscilla Starr earlier today from Cannes, and we both remarked that we don't know when you actually sleep or if you actually do, because you seem to be working on this 24 hours a day. If you were to... Give the rest of the world, whoever is listening to this, a message from your heart, from the middle of this struggle that you are in. What would you want to tell them?
1: Immediately, Japan must refrain from exporting nuclear technology to other countries, especially non-signatories of NPT and CTBT. The current policy option of exporting nuclear energy to countries like India, Vietnam, Jordan, Turkey, etc. is totally unjust because Japan is reeling under huge financial losses which came after Fukushima accident and its citizens, the Japanese citizens themselves are observing massive protests to demand a nuclear free future for themselves. So the uh, Japanese government must refrain from exporting nuclear technology, India also must behave responsibly and should rethink about this whole nuclear energy policy. Nuclear energy currently provides less than 3% of its total electricity, so I think it is totally avoidable and we are at a threshold from where we can really embrace renewable and sustainable energies, so India must relook, rethink its nuclear policy and its priorities. Uh, On behalf of the children, women, and the people of India and Japan, we demand a moratorium on Japan's nuclear export policy. We demand a moratorium on India's nuclear expansion plans. And we are very thankful for the entire international community, the coalition against nukes, and all other friends for for supporting us in our cause. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Kumar Sundaram, for the brilliant fierce work that you are doing, and for having been my guest half the world away on Nuclear Hot Seat this week.
1: Thank you so much. It was good uh, talking to you, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'll be posting links to the petition, to
0: Dianukes, and some sources on the finances and politics behind the proposed but not yet done deal of the Japan-India nuclear alignment. They will be on the website nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. We will also provide a link to a wonderful photo exhibit documenting the anti-nuclear protests in Kudankulam. It's called Kudankulam, In My Backyard, and consists of 15 photos by Amirthraj Stephen that capture the people's struggle against the nuclear state tyranny. Powerful images. Here's today's final thought. We're used to our elected officials blowing off or shining on concerns about radiation and its dangers. So it's shocking, in a good way, to come across this quote from President John F. Kennedy from June of 1963. He said, The number of children and grandchildren with cancer in their bones, with leukemia in their blood, or with poison in their lungs— might seem statistically small to some in comparison with natural health hazards. But this is not a natural health hazard, and it is not a statistical issue. The loss of even one human life, or the malformation of even one baby who may be born long after we are gone, should be of concern to us all. Our children and grandchildren are not merely statistics towards which we can be indifferent. President Kennedy went on to sign the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. A president with an eye to a better future for the greatest number of people and who understood the dangers of nuclear. What a concept. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, May 28, 2013. Material for this week's show comes from ENE News.com, Asahi Shimbun, Japan Times, Kyoto News, DNA India.com, CommonDreams.org, WashingtonPost.com, SCPR.org, BBC News, org, Sacramento BAP, EcoWatch.com, ABQJournal.com, Nuclear Information and Resource Services, Our Friends at NEARS, ABC Team 10, San Diego. And my buddies in the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook community, which you are all invited to join. Just go to Facebook, find us, click like. A special shout-out to Nuclear Hot Seat special reporter Yuki Wasabi, who provided some great background information on Japan as regards the deal with India. And a heel fast to Southern California nuclear videographer Mila Reason and her buddy Tom English, the man who wrote that wonderful song, What Part of Fukushima Do You Not Understand?, The two were injured in a car accident last week and both faced some important healing time. So get well, you guys. We need you hale and healthy. And we're going to honor Tom this week by going out on the song that he wrote. The Nuclear Hot Seat Archive is available on iTunes or at nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. Just scroll down or click on any of the months in the Archive. The blog page is a better way to go because we have links, pictures, videos, and a mini-description of each week's content. There's lots of information there to enrich your understanding of the issues. And I need help creating a searchable database for the archive of podcasts. So if anybody has a skill set that will help me do that, I would really be appreciative of your help. If you like this podcast, if you were informed by it, if it made you think, maybe surprised you, hey, did it make you laugh? Help me keep it going. Nuclear Hot Seat is a volunteer project. I have ongoing expenses. Help me make my bottom line, guys. If you appreciate the show, go to the homepage at nuclearhotseat.com, scroll down, hit the donate button, follow the prompts, send something. Do your part to help me keep this podcast alive. Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so use us and support us as the resource we are. And if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone great to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2013, Libby Halevi and Hardest Street Communications, all rights reserved, but fair use. Permission to reuse is granted as long as proper attribution, website, and email are included, and you do not do it for profit. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep. And here's Tom English with What Part of Fukushima Do You Not Understand?
2: Whenever I hear people say, Let's restart San Onofre, when life and death, our very breath is what's at stake? They talk of tube fluidity, elastic instability, and Fukushima rises like a mushroom-headed snake. What part of Fukushima do you not understand? Where nuclear contamination It's the fan Plutonium is everywhere It's in the sea It's in the air And we don't even have any evacuation plan What part of Fukushima do you not understand What part of Fukushima did you somehow miss When sure is shooting every time with things like this. Destruction rages like a flame Officials playing, spin the blame And all of us are bracing racing, facing the abyss. What part of Fukushima did you somehow miss Humankind is humankind and we all make mistakes Hard sometimes to not be blind and fall for fakes But even now, before our eyes It's in the sea, it's in the skies You know we best prioritize Air, water, come on guys What part of Fukushima do you need clarified? What happens when the plate tectonics slip and slide? And then it blows What happens then? It isn't if, you know it's when And everybody petrified Nowhere to run Nowhere to hide What part of Fukushima Do you not understand How then can even FEMA Ever lend a hand The time to make the break is now To wind and wave and solar power If we're gonna live Nuclear power must be banned Wrap your mind round Fukushima It's no time to be a dreamer. It's no time to be a schemer. Go, go, Fukushima, take a stand.